Jesus, we are grateful that you rose from the dead. But as Lauren mentioned, the fact is you are risen today. And it's in that truth, God, that we can build our life, that we can find peace, that we can find true hope. And that is the reason today why we are gathered together to worship and sing to you because you are our risen king. So be here with us today. Speak to us. Encounter your people where they are. We love you. We praise you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. And as you do, how about a thank you to our worship team, too? Yeah. Uh, welcome to Hope Denver, whether or not you are joining us online or you're here in person. If we have not had the chance to meet before, my name's Tyler, one of the pastors here, and excited to be teaching today. I hope that you had a good Easter filled with ham and chocolate and tired kids, just like we did. It was a fun Sunday here. I uh, wanted to say a couple of quick thank yous. We had an Easter egg hunt. Carrie, it was your vision, your planning that really made that a reality. I think that was one of my favorite memories as a church. Good job. Um, Pastor Scott led an awesome message. If you missed it, I'd recommend catching up on the podcast. He compared us to bouncy balls. I thought about being a bouncy ball all week. If, if you forgot the analogy, go, go listen to the podcast and you'll know what I'm talking about. And truly, it's a really great segue into a new series uh, that we are starting today. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to the, the book of 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be in that letter over the next six weeks together in a new series called Steadfast. So go ahead and open up and we'll get back to that in just a moment. Uh, I had an interesting conversation uh, a couple of weeks back with a coworker of mine. This colleague of mine, she lives in Dublin, Ireland, and we've been chatting about every other week or so, really throughout the pandemic. And it's been quite interesting because while things have become so localized, I've been talking to someone really across the globe, somewhat experiencing a lot of the same things. We've been talking uh, to one another about what life is like in quarantine. In, in Ireland, pubs have been closed, which has just been in uproar for that culture. We've talked about important things like Kanye running for president, you know, all the important things. And during this conversation, I brought up this article that I saw in the Irish news. And I don't read the Irish news uh, very often. I just saw a tweet with an article. Uh, so I thought I'd talk to her about it. And the headline of this article read, Google searches for hope and prayer peak while party and festival slump. And that just felt like the right headline about the last year that we've kind of lived through together. A couple of lines from this article uh, read, terms such as hope, hug, and prayer reached a record high on Google search in 2020, offering a snapshot of the national mood a year on from the UK's first lockdown. Searches for panic attack, hypochondriac, how to help, also saw a new high, according to Google Trends data, while interest in party, travel visa, festival, dipped to a record low as a result of the lockdown restrictions. There was a surge in looking up puppy, barbecue, books, and hot tub, which gives us a sense of the types of things that users sought out to cope during the pandemic. I wish that I had a hot tub during quarantine, don't you? Zooming out, though, a bit from some of this Irish humor, I think we can all agree that COVID-19 has really put a lot of things into perspective for us. 
This last year was filled with tragedy and sickness and missed weddings and loneliness and missed vacations and finding small joys and feeding our sourdough starters. <laughs> but above this, I, I think it's forced us to kind of rethink where we place our hope. It's forced us to recalibrate the things that keep us buoyant and persevering and steadfast during really difficult times. Because sourdough bread and Netflix just have not been enough to get us through things. And I think it's, it's totally fitting that words like hope were one of the most Googled words last year. Because times of difficulty squeeze us, they push us, they test that hope. That's what we're going to be talking about today, starting this new series titled Steadfast. We'll be working through the book of 2 Thessalonians, which is a letter written to Christians thousands of years before us who were living through really tough times. And for us, as followers of Jesus, two millennia later, it reminds us that what we hope for, truly hope for, shapes what we live for and helps us to remain steadfast. What we hope for shapes what we live for and can help keep us steadfast. That's our focus. So turn now to 2 Thessalonians. We're just going to be reading four verses today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 go like this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love that you all have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. Let's pray. Father, again, we are grateful to be gathered together today. We are thankful for the warm weather. We are grateful for your word. Today, Lord, as we open it, we pray, Lord, that it would read us as well. It would seek out the deep things that we're dealing with. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through it, that you would teach us, that you would stretch us, and you would not let us leave this morning without being changed. Father, we love you. We're grateful for the things that you have said. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we are only working through four verses today. So you're probably thinking this is like a 10-minute sermon. It's going to be a bit longer than that. But because we're not moving through much of the letter, I want to spend some time talking through the foundation of this larger letter that we'll be walking through together over the next many weeks. And we're going to spend a bit of time on that today. And you're probably thinking, oh no, a bunch of history, authorship, culture stuff. And sorry if that's upsetting to you, but it's important to understand. It matters because it helps us better apply the scriptures to our lives. One of our values as a church is truth. On our website, you'll read, we believe that absolute truth exists and that it is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We believe that the Bible is true and we teach boldly from it. We believe that the Bible should be the guidepost for our lives and the lens through which we view the world. And that's important for us to keep in mind because as we look to interpret the Bible and find meaning, we bring with us our own experiences. We bring with us our own presuppositions, our own culture, our own language. And as we look to interpret it, a technical term maybe for you to write down is that we interpret the scriptures with a historical grammatical hermeneutic. I didn't make that up. It's a real thing. And 
that, tip, that basically means that we're looking to understand the culture and the context, the language used, the grammar, to really understand the author's original intended meaning. If this stuff is interesting to you, I'd recommend a book. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. He has this simple line that I always come back to. He writes, a text can never mean what it could have never meant for its original readers or hearers. And again, what's tough for us as people 2,000 years down the road is that when we open up the scriptures, we bring with us our own story, our own experiences, our own presuppositions, our culture, and the way that we look through the world. So that means we have to work a little bit harder to understand and interpret what's going on. And it's through this process that the Holy Spirit can begin to illuminate meaning and better apply things to our lives. So let's unpack this. Verse 1, one more time. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right off the bat, we understand we have an author here. This, this letter was written by Paul, which is his Greek name. Uh, his Hebrew name was Saul. And at one point, he was a Jewish rabbi who persecuted Christians before he had a miraculous encounter with God and became a follower of Jesus. And we find ourselves here in the middle of the first century. Paul was trekking all over the ancient Mediterranean, which was the Roman Empire at the time, preaching what he called the gospel that Jesus of Nazareth had been raised from the dead. That's what we just celebrated and recognized on, on Easter. And unlike today, in the first century, the, the term gospel was a bit less churchy. It was more of a political word used in the Roman Empire. When a new Caesar would come to power, Rome would essentially send out a messenger to every city around the empire with a message of good news. Something like, Caesar Augustus has ended the long civil war, instilled peace once again. So give him your allegiance and worship him because Caesar is Lord. So Paul's gospel, of course, sounded a lot different. Paul was saying Jesus is the world's true Lord. Only he has defeated evil and death through his own death, burial, and resurrection. And through him, a new era of human history has begun with justice and peace as heaven is colliding with earth. This was a dangerous thing to be teaching and preaching in this day and age. It was provocative. Those in control of the world wouldn't like hearing it. We also learn who our audience is. In verse 1, we learn that Paul is writing this letter to a group of people. He was writing this letter to a church, the church in Thessalonica. The background of this community uh, can be found in Acts 17, a little, a, a little bit later, I guess, in the order of the Bible, but it happened before. And Paul had a vision, and in this vision, he saw a man from Macedonia who said, Paul, come, come here and save us, come help us. Macedonia was located in northern Greece, so ways away from Paul. So he's like, I'm up for a road trip. He brings with him his co-worker Silas and his protege Timothy. They cross the Aegean Sea. They, they plant first a church in Philippi. Maybe they stop at in and out on their way on the road trip. That's just what I picture when I think about road trips. They make it to Thessalonica. And in this city, they only spend a few weeks here, and somehow they manage to plant a church. I don't know how they did it. It's like they had help. And during the week when Paul wasn't preaching, he was supporting himself as a tent maker. He did this to provide an example to these new Christians of self-sufficient work, to show that his ministry was not selfishly motivated, and he wanted to mirror Christ's self-giving love so that he could give generously to others. 
And things go relatively well with the start of this church, uh, relatively, but he's quickly run out of town for preaching this provocative message. There's riots that happen. He's literally pushed out of town. Remember, he was preaching, Caesar is not the Lord, it's Jesus. So he ran away, maybe back to in and out Again, that's just what I picture. He ends up in another city, and he gets here, and he's wondering, what happened to my friends in Thessalonica? How is the church? Are they doing okay? Are they alive? So he sends Timothy back. I think it's pretty funny. He doesn't go back himself. He says, Timothy, go back, check in on them. Remember, things were a bit dangerous. I find that funny. Timothy traveled back. He checks in on them. He learns that these new Christians were actually thriving. They were standing strong. They were remaining steadfast in their walk with Christ. So it's with this report that Paul writes a couple of letters, first and second Thessalonians, uh, oh, back to these people. And it's pretty cool. This is actually the first likely uh, Christian writing we have in the New Testament, at least chronologically. This was likely written around 50 AD, just two decades after Jesus had died. And again, overall, this Thessalonian church They were quite healthy. They were doing well. They were growing spiritually, even though they were being persecuted. So Paul, in turn, back to his friends, writes these kind of informal, upbeat, encouraging letters letters to encourage them. And at its core, in both of these letters, he is encouraging these people, saying, you're doing great. Hold in there. I know it's tough right now, but remain steadfast in hope and faith. Keep at it. It's kind of a pep talk. And then not long after the first letter, he wrote another one because some problems were intensifying. The, the persecutions of these followers of Jesus were getting worse. These followers of Jesus were questioning the return of Jesus coming back. They thought they had missed out on this because things had gotten so bad. Some had stopped working. We'll talk about some of these themes in the coming weeks. But again, for us as a later generation of Christians, whether we're experiencing persecution or not in our lives, this letter reminds us that what we hope for shapes what we live for. What's to come in our future helps us stay steadfast here and now. Verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace was a standard greeting or a blessing that Paul used at the start of many of his letters, but it's really easy to just read right past, past this saying that sounds nice and friendly or whatever. This was not an empty and formulaic greeting. This is not saying, uh, hey, Karen, I hope this email finds you well. (laughs) There was a lot wrapped into this greeting. It was a deep reminder to these Christians that they have this entirely new existence in God's family based solely on God's grace. And it's in this new reality in Christ that they can begin to experience God's blessings and his peace. So again, he's not just saying, hey, I hope this message finds you well, or hello. He's saying, remember, my friends, you're part of a new family in Christ. A new family. And God, our God, our Father, is a God of grace. Maybe you've never heard that before. But as Christians, we believe we've been invited into a new family as sons and daughters with a a loving father looking out for us. And it's out of Christ's uh, grace that peace, meaning wholeness and completeness, can be experienced in your life. See, these two themes that Paul specifically refers to relating to remaining steadfast uh, are grace and peace. But Paul is alluding to something that is not circumstantial. 
See, the biblical concept of peace does not mean that there is an absence of chaos and conflict from your life, but it's peace that comes through a person, the peace and grace of Jesus. So what Paul is doing for his friends here is beginning to shift their perspective. He's not looking past what they're currently going through. Remember, it's going pretty, pretty poorly for them, but he's helping them change their perspective. This is not an easy thing to do when we're going through hard times, right? Throughout over this last year, most of 2020, it has been very easy for us to focus on all of the negative headlines. And then the dumpster fire of social media just makes that all so much worse. And understandably so, we've seen half a million people in this country alone die from COVID. We've seen all kinds of unrest and violence in our country. We've missed out on life's greatest things like vacations and weddings and trips. And not to minimize any of those terrible terrible things, but there have also been some silver linings. For my wife and I, we've spent more times with our two daughters than we ever would have any time before COVID. I've spent more time cooking, which I enjoy. I've spent more time with my wife, which might be a better thing for me than it is for her. You'll have to ask her. (laughs) See, sometimes things look different when you take them further away from your face and you begin to look for a new perspective. It doesn't change the thing that you're holding, but it begins to look a little bit different. And in the same way, Paul isn't looking past the difficult things happening in his life or their lives. In fact, he's experiencing it himself. He was run out of town with riots happening behind him. But with this intro of grace and peace, he's reminding them that there is more that they can hope in, a hope that transcends their current reality. And that's something that they can hold on to for the long haul. The grace and the peace that come through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is enough to sustain us, even through the most difficult things. Verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. There is an echo here from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 might sound similar to what I just read. There he wrote, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three themes here that you're probably picking up on. Faith, hope, and love. And again, it's important for us to remember the context for which these people are living. These were people being persecuted for their faith. Things were not easier for them in giving their allegiance to Jesus as it would have been giving it to Caesar. These Christians were likely being shunned by their family and the broader culture at large. Some likely had their property, their possessions seized by the Romans. Others were likely beaten and killed for giving their allegiance to Jesus. It wasn't just like, hey, you Christians are kind of weirdos. It was physically, in in real life, incredibly difficult for them. But somehow, Paul once again not only commends them and praises them for their faith, hope, and love, um, but also seems to be saying, you're actually growing. So we have this dynamic of increased persecution, but also spiritual growth in real and practical ways. Against all odds, these believers were remaining steadfast. They were living their best lives for Jesus. How is that possible? One of my, uh, my favorite books is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Have any of you read that before? A few, good handful. 
in my mind, this book is the ultimate story of, of hope given terrible and brutal circumstances. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish neurologist taken by the Nazis to Auschwitz, and his wife was immediately separated from him. He would, he would learn years down the road that she died that day in the gas chambers. He would, though, spend his next many years surviving the Holocaust. And it was here in the concentration camps that he formed his thesis on finding meaning in life. And it is a tough read. It accounts the terrible things he lived through. It's brutal. But he concluded that those who survived the ordeal weren't the healthiest or the strongest or the most fit. It was those who found meaning in their suffering. And he concluded that happiness isn't actually what we were created for, but we were created to find a deep sense of meaning. He said this meaning could be found in three different ways. The first was creating a work or a deed. Think basically your contribution to the world, the things you build or create, the businesses you start, the family you cultivate, your unique contribution, kind of living out God's calling for you. The second way he de detailed was experiencing something or encountering someone. Think the key relationships that God has created you to experience, and most of all, your relationship with him. And thirdly, it was the attitude we take towards unavoidable suffering which doesn't sound super happy. This for him was memories of his wife that he hoped he'd see again someday. This for him was finding a place where he could actually help out others. He documents sharing food for people that needed it a bit more than him. It was a hope that one day he could write down his experiences in a book that some of us have been able to read. He famously wrote, we need to stop asking what can I get out of life and instead what can life get out of me? And this just simply doesn't resonate with our Western and American goal, which is the pursuit of happiness. But what he found is that if we pursue happiness, we'll fall short every single time. And instead, if we pursue meaning, the odds might be happiness, even in hardship. Now, Frankel, uh, he was not a follower of Jesus. His words are not the scriptures. But I think he picked up on a theme uh, that matches up really well with what we read throughout the Bible time and time again. We read throughout the scriptures time and time again about pain and suffering being like the refiner's fire. In Job 20, we read, He knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. In Psalm 66, we read, For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. In Jeremiah 9, we read, See, I will refine and test them, for what can I do because of the sin of my people? And then Jesus in Mark 9 said, Everyone will be salted with fire. See, over and over again, the writers of the Bible seem to say that suffering can do for our character and spiritual growth what fire does to gold. See, while these Thessalonian Christians were being shunned by their family and friends, beaten, maybe killed in some circumstances, they were still flourishing, growing, gaining ground in their relationship with Christ. What made them steadfast? Everyone in this letter is suffering and having a tough time. Paul is suffering. His friends are suffering. Things are just tough for everyone. But if we go back to Paul's first letter, Paul did a lot of reflection on their shared suffering. And he connected his own story to the story of Jesus. See, just as Jesus was rejected and killed by his own people, 
So Paul is now being persecuted by his fellow Jews. The Thessalonians are facing hostility from their Greek neighbors. And he offers more than just a motivational quote, like shared suffering is how we get through this. He goes deeper beneath the surface to draw a strange comfort, knowing that together their sufferings were a way of participating in the story of Jesus' own life and death. And if they were to remain steadfast, they would also share in all the victories that his victory over death would grant them. See, it was a future reality that shaped their current ability not only to endure, but to actually grow. We finish in verse 4. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So Paul now, in our final verse, is encouraging his friends once again, saying, you're doing so well through all of these trials, doing so well that we're actually telling other people about you. You are the model to be followed. You're the poster child. Churches all over the region know of your perseverance. Perseverance in Greek, I wanted to say this word just because it's a fun word to say, is pronounced hupomane. It means steadfastness, consistency, endurance, remaining patient and not swaying in conviction. Faith here in Greek is pronounced pistis. It means a conviction of truth, the truth that Jesus is Lord and that he will return one day to make things right, to bring justice for those who are following him. The message version of this specific verse reads, we are so proud of you. You're so steady and determined in your faith despite all the hard times that have broadsided you. We tell everyone we meet in the churches all about you. See, against all odds, these Jesus followers were remaining steadfast in hope, in love, in faith. Because despite their current circumstances, Jesus was still king, and he would come again to rule in justice and peace, and they would be share, they'd be sharing in that victory. Lots of Bible today. I want to end um, here in the last final minutes by kind of connecting this to your story. And since we started with an article, I wanted to end with one. For some reason, there was just great stuff uh, in the news this week that I was like, I'll use that. Uh, Did anyone else read this from the New York Times? It was titled, We All Have Hit a Wall, Confronting Late-Stage Pandemic Burnout with Everything from Edibles to Exodus. Not talking about edibles today, don't worry. But I felt the story. The, the author, Sarah Lyle, she started out by writing, call it, a, call it late, late pandemic crisis of productivity, of will, of enthusiasm, of purpose. Call it a bout of existential work-related ennui provoked partly by the realization that sitting in the same chair in the same room staring at the same computer for 12 straight months and counting has left many of us feeling like burned out husks, dim-witted approximations of our once productive selves. I feel that. The premise of this article was to call out the fact that all of us are doing less right now. We're traveling less, we're entertaining less, we're going out less, etc. But at the same time, I think we're all feeling this collective burnout. This, This article cited a variety of studies tracking employees who are experiencing more malaise, more burnout, more depression, more stress than ever before, even though there is less to do in the world. Anxiety and depression levels are up three times what they were in 2019. 
Our motivation, our purpose feels zapped. And if that sounds like you, like it does me right now, there's actually science behind it. Dr. Margaret Wenberg in this article, she's a behavioral psychiatrist. She is quoted saying, when people are under a long period of chronic, unpredictable stress, they develop behavioral anhedonia, meaning the loss of the ability to take pleasure in their activities. So they get lethargic, they show a lack of interest, and obviously this plays a huge role in productivity. So come to a close, I wanna invite our worship team back up. But in summary, I think we can all agree that we have made it through one of the most difficult years on record, the most difficult year that I remember. And if you're feeling some of these things right now that I just read about, I'd say you're not alone. Things aren't easy right now, even when it's easy to put on a smiling face. And if you are feeling burned out, lethargic, hopeless, lonely, or tired, there is a God who says to you, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we come to a close today, I invite you to stand. And I just want to pray over you. If you're feeling some of those things just like I am right now, I want you just to receive those words from the Lord. And again, I just want to connect this to your story because I believe that God wants to meet you where you're at today, to provide you a sense of rest, a cultivation of your soul, to provide you with the grace and the peace that we're reading about that sustained these Christians coming thousands of years before us. Not only just to make it through, but to actually come out of this season healthy, growing, and ahead. So if you'd, if you'd close your eyes with me, I just want to pray over you. And this is a prayer that Paul actually prayed over these people in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. He said, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. One more time, I'll pray that over you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are gathered here today, I know that there are circumstances represented all over the map. Some of us are feeling lonely right now. Many of us, like me, are feeling burned out. Many of us might not know where to place our hope. But we know, Lord, that there is a future reality in you that can make us steadfast here and now today. So I pray that over my friends who are here today, Lord. I pray that they would be reminded there is a grace and a peace that can transcend our current circumstances, something that we can hold on to, remain steadfast in. And I pray that we'd not only survive this season, but we'd actually grow. We'd come out ahead. We'd feel closer to you than ever before. We'd feel a deeper sense of peace than ever before. 
we'd feel passion in our lives to pursue the things that you've set us out to do. Grace and peace upon my friends once again. I pray over them in your name. Amen.